Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, which is um, in the Philadelphia area. But I am originally from western Pennsylvania, which borders Ohio. And as much as I'm a Steelers fan and don't like the Browns or the Bengals, I am excited for some great people who are running for office in Ohio, including my guest today, Phil Robinson. Um, we recorded an episode a few weeks ago, and I had an error on my computer, and actually it may end up being good because we're going to talk about, I think, some things that have happened since then. Um, it's a different race, different things going on in, in Ohio now, um, and it's an important state as always, and I think Phil has some really positive and interesting things to say about his past elections, his current election, and uh, what he's trying to fight for in the legislature in Ohio. So with that brief introduction, uh, Phil, thank you so much for taking time again today. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. And uh, it, it isn't often you get a Steelers and a Browns fan talking, but uh, uh, I enjoyed the opportunity and the Browns won yesterday uh, against the Bengals. So uh, hopefully we had that in common. Go Browns. But happy to be there. Now, I have said this since early in the pandemic. I would be, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, um, but even as a Steelers fan, I would be happy with the Browns winning the next 10 Super Bowls if it meant that Joe Biden won the presidency and COVID would go away. That is correct. If you gave me that deal, I would I would uh, I wouldn't make it public, but I would I would support the Steelers <laughs> if that was the case. Great. All right. We're on we're on record here because that's important. Um, but yeah. right. So for, but first of all, um, we talked earlier this summer about your election and. Uh, we will talk about that, but a lot of things have happened in Ohio in just the last two months politically, right? Yeah, it's been a busy time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it has. Yeah, go ahead. No, so what you had, there were some scandals and things that may have upended the direction of the Ohio elections in a lot of ways. So what is the a brief synopsis of what is some of the news that people should be aware of, of what's going on in Ohio right now in September of 2020? Sure. So I'll just start with the broad statement of what I believe is going on and then share a little bit about it in detail. Uh, the big piece is that Ohio is in play. Um, it's something that we believe, at least on the Democratic side, um, although the state can swing with the pendulum of what the voters are believing and uh, are looking for at the moment, uh, we do believe fundamentally it's a swing state. And Biden, uh, Vice President Biden and President Trump have either been tied or one of the others up four or five points, which is within the margin of error. So this is going to be a critical race, and we firmly believe it could once again serve as whoever wins Ohio wins the presidency. Uh, in Ohio, it's been quite um, a, a historic time, and all not in, in the best way. So um, a couple months ago, probably mid-June, um, Speaker uh, Larry Householder was uh, indicted um, as being charged with a $60 million corruption bribery scandal. In which he was working with First Energy on um, a bailout, corporate bailout bill, and was using money as kickbacks to elected officials and others to funnel that entire uh, operation, that scheme, if you will. Um, and so he is, uh, he's, that disgrace has now uh, been removed from Speaker. Um, and that's also changed the game in what um, Ohioans are looking at. And this is the fifth Speaker in five years on the Republican side that we've had. Um, and so, unfortunately, what keeps happening, the uh, Republican Party has controlled the, the, the state house for 23 to 25 last years, and unfortunately, there's been corruption every step of the way. So, between that happening and what's happening at the, the national level, it's been a very fluid uh, uh, time here in Ohio. 
And, you know, there is always, there's corruption in every industry, including politics. And I feel like from talking with a lot of people on this podcast, the difference between Democrats and Republicans this year is not so much the difference between conservative and liberal, those kind of labels, but more about um, government working or not working, governance. And that goes to corruption as well. Does that seem like a good fit for Ohio in terms of your vision versus what this seems to be turmoil in the Republican Party? Uh, It is. And uh, literally, you are are communicating what I hear from voters uh, on the phone, through text, we try to engage in this virtual campaign, which is, I don't believe, and I don't believe the voters in District 6 or other parts of Ohio believe that one-party rule is healthy or good. Uh, we don't believe gerrymandering is healthy or good. Both of those become the fertile ground for corruption, and that what people want is for fundamentally state government to work for everyone and to get things done. The best way to do that is to have uh, good bipartisan work that can be accomplished, and uh, that will not happen as long as you have gerrymandering and one-party rule in any state house across the country. So that's a little brief overview of what's happening now, some of the changes since we originally recorded. Um, but let's talk about what's always been the same. And tell me briefly when and why you got invested in politics and invested enough to run for office. Sure. So for me, uh, it, the, the journey of getting to elected office is a brief story. And so um, back when I was a, a corporate executive, a marketing executive, I started tutoring a young man, Antoine Collins. Uh uh, seventh uh, grade, fifth grade reading level. And uh, I started tutoring once a week with him. Um, and over time, we built a really powerful bond. The first couple of times we did it, uh, he didn't really want to talk to me, and I wasn't sure this, how do you tutor. Uh, but as we uh, discussed further and further, I found out some of the challenges he was facing and just always had it back in my mind, I want to pay it forward. Um, and so at, uh, at the end, he gave me two things. He gave me a plant and he missed a note, and he misspelled the word teacher. So that sent me on a journey to figure out um, how could I give back and you know, do more to pay for for where I am in life. And so that's let me to quit my corporate career and start working in education and nonprofit sector, uh, running large uh, nonprofits. And um, and now I am uh, running for office because I fundamentally believe that uh, our state government should work for everyone. Um, and I believe that the only way it's going to happen is everyone has to get involved some way. And I hope my me running is encouraging other people to run and get involved in the political process. And as a father and a husband with two young children, I know our heart is to balance work and family and all the challenges. And I want to make sure that people know there's a state government working for them and looking out for them. And I have thought of that story since we've, I first looked into you, how, as a person on the campaign trail, how often do you tell that story? And I mean that in terms of, does it like when you tell that kind of really powerful, special story, <clears throat> does it kind of serve as a talisman, like a, like something that is, just a big part of you as a constant reminder because of the way you bring it up a lot in campaigning? So, uh, you know, it's a little bit challenging now because of the virtual environment, but we, you know, especially in 2018 when I ran and we flipped this seat, and even now when I get a chance to with the audience on Zoom meetings, which I think we're all living in that world right now, or or conference call, I do share that story. Um, And usually what happens, people kind of gasp when they hear about the, the word teacher being misspelled, and then they also, I get a lot of compliments of, hey, you, you, you didn't have to do that. Um, you could have just continued to do what you're doing in the corporate sector. Not that that's bad, uh, but you decided to put that on hold to try to find other ways to get back. And I hope the story, one, illustrates that that could be any of us in that situation. On either side of that table, it can either be Antoine who needs more support or the person on the other side being 
me in that instance who needs to figure out how can I step up to help more. And I hope it's going to inspire people to get involved more in uh, the public sector and the nonprofit sector because we need great minds in that space as well to continue that work um, that's needed across the country. And so as a result of that, education has become your, is it, that I would say it's your top one or two priority, right? It is. It's my, it's, it's my number one priority because of what it means to my sister and I and the fact that um, I've seen firsthand the power um, of when you have people who are invested, when you have people who are helping, um, it can really help people unlock their potential and transform lives. And, you know, when I was working as executive director for City Year, in Cleveland, which is a nonprofit AmeriCorps program that helps young people give a year of service to help children in school. I saw over several years us increasing graduation rate in one of Cleveland's toughest neighborhoods from 39% to 73%. And the reason why I tell that story is I believe the power of the 20th century was all about um, uh, access, uh, about potential. Uh, everyone should have rights different things of that nature. The 21st century really told me it's about opportunity, how you close that gap and ensuring everyone has an opportunity to succeed. And of course, people will do whatever they will with that opportunity, but we at least need to ensure that people have that opportunity. Now, fundamentally, we believe that's a role of government to make sure that uh, people are not being abused, neglected, that it functions and works, and that provides an, an opportunity for everyone to thrive and succeed on their own. And now, again, we talked in the summer, it's September now, the school year has begun. What are your thoughts as a state legislator of what you can do um, to assist parents and, and students with this very challenging educational environment due to the pandemic? Sure. You know, it's extremely challenging. And, and look, I work with the governor on a lot of issues. I've got a bill signed that the governor or got a bill passed the governor signed into law. I really believe the way he really shut down uh, the, most of the state and ran the process with uh, the, the pandemic was right on. I do have some concerns and issues with the way we've reopened back up. And one of those areas is education. There's so many parents who are trying to work a job, and that's if they're fortunate to work the job at home. And they're also essentially trying to educate their child. Or they're being forced to decide, do I send my child back to school and hope that the school has enough resources to educate them, socially distance, enough resources to continue to clean and do everything around the building, which is really intensive for a school that doesn't have that in their budgets. Um, and so my frustration in Ohio, and I think a lot of other voters, and I can and the stakes I have two little children is that we haven't really given guidance to how does this work, um, what resources do you need, um, giving them a fundamental plan, if you will, about how to do this. Instead, we pick to a school district, you're on your own, and every family, here are all the resources, you figure it out. And again, that goes back to what is the role of government, and the role of government is to, when things that they uniquely can solve, a society either cannot solve itself, or frankly, in order to make sure that it's a fair process, they need to step in and ensure opportunity. That's where state government needs to uh, get involved, and it has not happened with the uh, with education in the pandemic. It, as a parent myself, and I know our kids are similar ages, mine are six and four, um, mm -hmm. it is so, I have so much anxiety, and I don't know what the answers are when there's no real federal guidance. Is, do you feel that from parents, too? Like, you don't know where to go to trust the information. Absolutely. So you know, my, my daughter's six and my son's two, so we were definitely in the same boat. And we did a, a town hall maybe three months ago, two and a half months ago, before decisions about school, because every school's making their own decision as opposed to one process for the whole state. And we got more than 10,000 views on that town hall meeting. I bet. And people, and people have said, I am stuck. I don't know what to do. I need help. I feel as though I'm all alone. 
what are, what is the government doing? Are we going to have to do testing? Where is the funding? And these are things that we could do. And so that's why we called on the new speaker and the state house. We should be in session all summer long and definitely now because there's work to be done. We have to figure out these thorny, tough issues that are going to take people from both sides to figure out how do we solve for operating in a pandemic and what can we do right now and what are things that we fundamentally cannot return back to until we have a handle on the pandemic. And we just got another 1,033 case, new cases yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's definitely, a, it's definitely a challenge. And you know, I probably should have said at the top, one of the other big issues that's happening that's impacting Ohio is what we perceive as to be a lot of uh, potential voter suppression that's happening in the state of Ohio. And we've had to challenge the Secretary of State to address that. And it ties back again to people wanting a government that works for, for them. You know, speaking of voter suppression, there was a, a new court ruling that came out today from, I'm sure, your one of your favorite states, Michigan, um, <laughs> that uh, that I don't want to don't want to hurt your campaign there, but um, that uh, came out and uh, it was expanding voter rights in Michigan. Um, new legis- new court cases in Pennsylvania expanded voter access, and I think that's even happened in Ohio. I'm not an expert like you are on this. I feel like maybe some of the Trump administration's words and actions are backfiring to improve voter access because it's creating court cases that may not exist. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, You know, anytime people start to sense that their right to vote um, or their right to civically be involved, which are all protected by the Bill of Rights and Constitution, uh, it's threatened, that engages people more uh, than um, anything else. And so in many ways, it is backfiring. In the state of Ohio, uh, right now, the Secretary of State has said on several occasions, there's shown to be one drop box uh, for each county. Now, to put that into context, there's over 1.3 million people um, in Cuyahoga County, uh, so the Cuyahoga regional area. And so to say that we're going to have one drop box for that entire community is unacceptable. Right. Um, it's making it harder to vote. Uh, a judge in Franklin County recently said it's okay to request your absentee ballot online, if you're, especially if you're someone who's sick or have pre-existing conditions or you're elderly. And we're still fighting with the Secretary of State to make that happen, even though the judge said, I strongly recommend you do that. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure that everyone had prepaid postage uh, for uh, for being able to vote, it, uh, to send in their absentee uh ballot request and frankly i think we should provide it for people once you vote as well mm-hmm. and it fought us every step of the way and the secretary of state keeps saying i don't have the power um and and, and everyone who looks at it legally says yes you do get 16 million dollars sitting there that you could and so it was very incredibly disappointing that that national rancor has now started to impact so many states to the fact that judges seem to be involved to make sure that the sacred right of voting is being protected yeah it, it is very frustrating especially as you said Early in this, you're able to work with the Republican governor very well. And a lot of these things feel like this should just be good governance. There shouldn't really... You're not saying, I want Democrats to vote and I don't want Republicans to vote. You want everyone to be able to vote. And so it's disappointing to see that something... When it's partisan, I think, like that, it's only really partisan on one side, even if people end up seeing both sides to it, right? Absolutely, because our side is I want every person to vote. If you're a Republican, you don't want to vote for me in my district, that's okay. But I believe it's my job serving them to make sure that their right to vote is protected. And my hope is that both parties would want to do whatever is humanly possible so that everyone feels protected. There's so many people scared to go to the poll right now because it, 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 they get sick or they already are sick, what that could mean. 
and someone should never have to choose between voting and their health, voting in between voting and potentially getting sick and potentially getting so sick you could die. That should not be what's happening in this state or in this country. And we're going to fight like heck to make sure that that is not the case. Um, and continue to push and fight for that because that's incredibly important. And I should know as someone who represents a 50-50 quote-unquote purple district, uh, every vote counts. Everybody wants their voice heard regardless of their political affiliation. So, and you mentioned you're in a 50-50 district. You had a, you had a tough election uh, last time. Um, hopefully your election will be easier this time. And, I, and it's not easy. <laughs> But do you feel like being an incumbent makes it easier to make your case? And I have a follow-up question for why that, why I'm asking that. Sure. Uh, and so just for those who don't know, House District 6 has 18 communities in the southeastern part of Conger County, uh, upwards outside of Cleveland, and they've been Republican for almost 40 years in District 6. It's a very gerrymandered, large reverse L and covering the bottom part of the entire cross the, 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 the county. Uh, we flipped that for the first time in 40 years, Democratic, and I'm the first African-American to represent this district. Uh, and, and what I have seen so far as being incumbent, just like it was a tough fight last time, you won by a little bit under 2,000 votes. Notice it would continue to be a battle that we're going to have to fight for. What we do know is we have a record we're proud of, the things we've accomplished. And when we share things such as we raise teacher salaries and increase public schooling by $620 million, that I, I, I uh, was able to get a bill passed by the House and Senate and signed to law by the governor as a freshman, one of only 40 bills out of 900 introduced that will create jobs uh, and match companies with people looking for training certificates. Uh, I believe people, it resonates with folks, especially not only Democrats, but also independents who don't have political party affiliation and Republicans who are looking for a that works. And so you share that. Um, I believe they see a compelling there of you can get things done and you can work together. So uh, standing by your principles and your convictions. And so the part that may be easier this time is I'm sure that the first time a Democrat like you runs and wins you have a lot of very skeptical traditional Republicans uh, um, who may or may not have voted for you. Um, and now you can go back to those people and you have a record. Does, do you think you're able to persuade them in a different way than you could the first time? I do believe whenever I'm able to share how much we're able to get done and they're seen in our advertising, we're phone banking, postcards, uh, dropping, uh, town hall meetings, when they see it, the, what I usually get from even Republicans is thank you for your service and thank you for leaning in. I've had great stories about people pulling me aside and saying, I've only voted for two Democrats in my life, either Bill Clinton or, or Jimmy Carter, whatever it may be, and, and say you're the other one. Um, and so uh, what that demonstrates is people are willing to work with somebody they believe is going to get things done. I always say you won't always agree with me. You may not even always think my stances on the issues are right. But what I will always guarantee I will do is serve with integrity, work on behalf of people, and I will shoot you straight on what I, where I stand and what I'm going to try to do. And, and the reason I'm asking that is not to um, put any sort of idea about your campaign, because I don't know what it's like. You Only you know in your <laughs> campaign. But um, for someone who's thinking about running for office, it sounds scary, right? Like they haven't done it before, but... If they, if you're a Democrat, a progressive person, and you change your district for the first time, you have a chance to change that district for the long term, don't you? You do. Things I would say about that, on, on so far as the district and how it evolves, there are some communities, such as Chagrin Falls and others, who people have always assumed were uh, vote Republican, who voted uh, for me. 
over, uh, overall last in 2018. And if I drive through there now, you see my signs, you see a lot of Biden signs. That, that was not the case two years ago. Mm-hmm. It's because we're providing, I firmly believe a lot of people are concerned about the direction this country is going in and our state is going in since the majority of state houses are controlled by, uh, one party ruled by Republicans. But they need someone to come by and make a case for why an alternative is better. And the only way that happens is you have to show up and make your case. And when you do, you can see that manifestation when you drive around and see a district that may have been Republican before, show that it's either 50 50 or maybe even leaning Democratic. And what I would tell the young people who are running, uh, if you want to run, go for it. Don't think about it, don't hesitate. Uh, I ran 2018 against an opponent that had dark money behind him. Uh, you know, three quarters of a million dollars I was running against when you add it all up. Um, and they, you know, they put out some ads that even would have made my mom or my grandma not want to vote for me. Um, and I didn't have the, you know, all the money I needed. Um, majority of the entities, unions, and others were backing my opponent. If you were to look now, after having that record, we have over 40 unions and other non, uh, not uh, other bipartisan organizations who are supporting us, many elected officials. And so, I would tell people, if you believe in your heart, you can you can serve your community, and you're willing to put in the work. Uh, it is daunting. It is hard work. It can feel anxious and scary sometimes, but go for it because we need we need great young people at the table. We need a diverse group of people at the table. Uh, we need new voices um, to help us think through how do we lead and govern in, in these new times and years ahead. And, you know, you mentioned this when we first spoke, and it does um, add on right here. You, as an elected official, someone who's run, you've built up credibility, so now you can help others in a way you couldn't before, right? Now, you are a mentor to others who have been running, are running, or may be considering running in Ohio. You know, it's funny, Tony, when you run, the last thing you think is that anyone going to really ask you about what you did. Um, but, you know, we, I firmly believe one of the things that uh, we have to do um, as Democrats and progressive Democrats is think about how do you build a bench and how do you build a bridge to the next generation of leaders who we don't need to find. They're ready. They're there. But they need to support resources in order to make it happen. Um, and so I'm proud that on off-year, quote-unquote, off-year elections, we, I was able to campaign and endorse uh, several candidates, including two who were the first African-Americans in their particular communities to become city council members. Uh, I backed certain mayor uh, candidates that I believe were going to work on behalf of folks. And now a person who played a really big role in helping me get elected when I was running for the House in 2018 is himself is running to be our state senator for our, our entire district here, which includes my house district and two others. And so what it shows is if you can build a bench, if you can show people it's possible, it's amazing what can happen. It's almost like a snowball effect, if you will, where people get involved, uh, they get active, they get people elected, and then they say, hey, I want to make a difference too. And that's, that's really how it should work. I just yesterday spoke with um, Elizabeth Beck. She's running for office in Texas, and that podcast is coming up too here soon. And I feel after I've been involved in politics for almost 20 years, and I feel old saying that, but um, (laughs) I... um, You just started. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, So, but I feel like the Democrats running today, especially in places that are considered challenging environments like Ohio suburbs, Texas, they used to just kind of run as themselves saying, I don't want anyone to know I'm a Democrat. I'm doing this myself. Vote for Phil. Vote for Elizabeth. But we'll we'll pretend I don't know anyone else. And it feels like much more of a team sport now than before. Does it feel like you have the en- like team energy in a very positive way this time that maybe um, was lacking even a few years ago? Sure. Yes. The short answer is yes. Um, I you hope know, so. look, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, look, there's a, there's two stops to that, that point, of course. 
unfortunately, what we found, and I'm sure Elizabeth probably talked about this on her podcast when we did our research in 2000, 2018, is that unfortunately, some it was so polarized that people, if they just heard you begin to say the word Democrat, they didn't want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they got a chance just to hear from you, and they would say, that all makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now I have your vote. And they would say, yeah. And so uh, the, the beauty of being an incumbent and running, you don't necessarily have to do all that. You can say, look, I'm a Democrat. Uh, Republicans want to make a big deal talking about that all the time. Sure, I'm not going to hide it. Um, but I'm a Democrat. Let me show you what I've done. Let me show you every endorsement that I've received. Uh, these are all really important things. Uh, and I do believe part of what can help fix that, which leads into one of our goals, is to break the supermajority. I firmly believe when you can break the supermajority in the state house, it makes it easier for people as a collective to run in whatever political persuasion they are. Right. Uh, when you're not, it makes it really hard. You almost have to, you're almost on your own in a lot of ways. And so we're two seats away from breaking the supermajority. Um, and so if we hold every seat, including mine, we flip six and 18. If we hold those six and we flip just two more, um, we break the supermajority. If we do that, which we feel really good that we have a great shot at, uh, all of a sudden now as Republicans and Democrats are battling at the state house, which in itself tells all Ohioans, this is a uh, divided government, but it's a government that's now working again, which therefore makes it easier for progressive candidates to run as a Democrat because they know there's someone there that has their back. Um, And that's what we're working to do. And speaking of breaking the supermajority and the direction of both parties, again, I've spoken with people from Utah and from Kansas and a lot of other states who are in office now, like yourself. And it seems like there are two kinds of Republicans right now in office. There are the traditional business Republicans that probably would have dominated your seat before your, your district. And then there are the conspiracy alternate reality Republicans. Is that the case in Ohio? I'm not asking the name names, but um, and do you think that if you break the supermajority, you will have you will be giving those moderate Republicans kind of a home where they they may have a better chance of governing like they probably in their hearts actually want to do you know it's, it's funny you mentioned that in in breaks when we're in house session we have breaks between votes if you go to some republican college which i have and say why didn't you vote for this or they'll whisper to you i you know i see where you're coming from i actually agree but it's i don't want to get primaried or i know what will happen if i say something perfect example uh, our, one of my colleagues, Representative Juanita Brent, and we all backed her on this, uh, wanted to literally just eliminate the Confederate flag, our state government paying for any of those, those materials being allowed at county fairs. Um, we abandoned at the state level, but not at the county and local level. And we couldn't even get one Republican. We got one, I take that back, we had one Republican who did on one of the two um, uh, amendments. And we, we couldn't get a majority to even agree to that, even though they know deep down that that's the right thing to do. And so uh, what I believe I demonstrated being in the state house is working with Republicans who do want to get things done and demonstrating that legislatively. I do believe we broke the supermajority and it was two political parties just navigating with no one having a one party rule in their back pocket. I do believe it would open up opportunities for those who agree with some of the things we're doing to work with us. That is not happening now because you do have multiple camps, which I call your business uh, slash more moderate slash. Um, I, I just want more individual rights. I don't want government involved. And then you have others, unfortunately, who are conspiracy theorists around, you know, whether it's the mask or other things that they bring up that are um, disheartening to hear. Um, and, and then there's another group, which I don't I don't even blame the other two groups for, but there's another group, which unfortunately you've seen across the country, who see some racist things and has some French elements to them as well. Yeah, that's being kind. I, I know you have to be kind. Um, so... <laughs> 
Um, and, and I appreciate that because I, I have met in Pennsylvania a lot of people who are Republican who I, I don't agree with their politics, but and I I would almost like to support them because oh I know they're a good person but what are who are you voting for for committee chairs what are you doing here like you're a good person how do you support this it must be um, baffling to you as not just a legislator but as a human being to see like look I know that Bob is a decent person what what are you getting yourself into here absolutely and you know part of that and, and that is such a big reason why we got to break the supermajority hey I, I don't know if it was the flip house which mm-hmm. we're trying really hard to do but at the very least break the supermajority this year because i do believe it would give permission to certain folks to say hey maybe i can't work with you and it's okay mm-hmm. whereas there's one party rule or is one party rule with us being governed by or, or being led by iron fist in that particular caucus you all but will not do anything to step out of line and that creates bad public policy for the state and that hurts ohioans and so we're hoping that this will be the case and by the way by breaking it, it also puts voter elected officials operate that way on notice that voters will not tolerate that yeah and that they're working and that if you do not find a way to get things done and work with democrats because we don't care you know we may vote who we like but at the end of the day we want things done we will continue to vote out the people who won't get things done and put in people who want to get things done um and so we hope that that's also a message that can be sent to the voters because at the end of the day uh the two things that unfortunately drive many politicians are how much money they can raise uh, but also more importantly when voters call to say i don't like the issue or they vote you out, that's just a very powerful message. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to vote for a Democrat who refuses to even talk to the other party because how are they going to get anything done? That's that's a de- depressing thing as well. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And one other thing you mentioned is that you are seeing more Joe Biden signs up, um, like a different percentage between the two campaigns. I'm not, like I, you know, the campaign slogan is guard signs don't vote, but... I'm seeing that in Pennsylvania too, where um, people who I knew put up who put up Trump signs in the summer of 2016 don't have one up, um, and people and they might still be voting for Trump, but they're less loud about it. And there are a lot of people putting up Biden signs. Um, do you do you feel like maybe the polls are missing? And I, they're saying it's close in Ohio too, but there seems to be a bigger enthusiasm difference this time than maybe people are recognizing. Uh, I do. I, I, what I believe is happening uh, is that when you look at a lot of different polls, President Trump is performing at the 2016 level. Mm-hmm. Living in Ohio, I wasn't surprised that he won by um, by eight points uh, because when I campaigned for the state house the first time that time, um, you could just tell door by door. Uh, what's happening this time is I think you have a couple different groups. You have Democrats who are fired up and ready to go. Uh, they really believe we gotta make a change. You have a you have a good chunk of non party party affiliated people who are have decided I'm leaning them this year. Democratic. I'm I'm just going there because I don't like the direction we're going in. And there's another group, uh, especially white women, suburban women, but also Republicans Republicans too, who know and who believe and who've communicated privately in polls and I've heard it when I've talked to people campaigning. I took a chance on him, I really regret it. Uh, I'm gonna do something about it. Um, and then those who still want to vote for him, with every story that comes out where he's calling military veterans suckers and losers or whatever it may be, it gets harder and harder to rep that publicly. And so uh, those folks are just kind of quietly going to vote for Trump and move on. So your signs don't vote, but do give you a good indication is around enthusiasm uh, for which campaign, which set of ideas voters yeah. are gravitating to. 
Yeah, it feels a lot different than last time, and I feel like it's. I don't want to say it out loud even to jinx it. Um, <laughs> I, I would say people are open to um, a new opportunity, and it's up to Democrats to close the deal. And, and I, yeah. yeah, that's my belief. And you and I don't need to get off on a tangent here, but you mentioned the the veterans thing. I can if if I think that if Barack Obama or Joe Biden had been credibly reported as saying the same thing about veterans, every Democrat, yourself and myself included, would condemn it unconditionally, wouldn't we? Immediately. Um, I mean, as soon as the, the ink wouldn't have dried on the article being put on website before I would have condemned that individual to say, that doesn't represent my party, it doesn't represent this country. Uh, it's mind-blowing that there's anyone trying to defend that. There's been enough people to corroborate the story. Too many people to have been a conspiracy theory. And frankly, we've heard the president unfortunately say that about John McCain and others on tape in video form. So it's not as though this is something that's being made up. Um, And it's disheartening to know the commander in chief is doing that. Um, And the the president would like you to think people don't work together. That's not the case. It's what we won't stand for is racism, sexism, being anti Semitic, and not uh, trying to take any rights away from people. That's what we won't stand for. But can we work with a Republican or someone from the other side? Sure. I mean, I work with my chair of my education committee where I'm ranking member all the time on bills. We've done some great work together. Um, so that is possible. But what we won't stand for is degrading people, harming people, taking away people's rights. And uh, we'll push back and fight the president and anybody in the state of Ohio and anyone else who wants to do that every day. Well, Ohio is a great place to fight. Um, even if they have inferior football teams, they are still a great place to fight. <laughs> um, no, I love Ohio. Um, it is one of my top 50 states. And I think, and I'm very excited about seeing what you're able to do. It's It really is hopeful. I feel discouraged and anxiety-driven all the time. And then I talk to people like you and I feel a little bit better. Um, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to follow your campaign, what's the best way that they can do that? Sure, they go to Robinson for Ohio, um, and you spell out the word Ohio, and for is F-O-R, so RobinsonForOhio.com has everything about how to get involved, how to donate money, our events we're doing, our endorsements. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, it, we're, we're at Robinson for Ohio, but instead it's O-H. So it's Robinson, F-O-R-O-H, and those are great ways to get involved with us, track what's going on in the campaign, been dropping 2,000 pieces of literature every week, um, which has been amazing to see for a statehouse race. Um, and we, we need people's help to, to donate, uh, phone bank, uh, text. Uh, you know, we just finished 10,000 postcards, so donations for the postage for that um, to help us lit drop. Uh, it, it's going to take people power to make sure that we keep this government in the hands of the people. Well, great. And, and if you are able to get your goals met, if you're able to flip Ohio for Biden and or win the seats you need to, I will gladly wear a brown shirt to, to say my con- thanks to you. Oh, uh, well, Tony, I look so forward on November 4th to seeing that photo. I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> you just messaged me. I mean, I don't really hate the Browns. I just like to joke about them. <laughs> it's, it's the Cowboys I don't like. It's They're the only ones I really don't like. Okay, we, we, might, we, might, we might be able to find some common ground there. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. well, I really encourage everyone, if you can, to follow Phil. Um, he is doing really positive work, and that's what we need in politics. Um, you can hear from him i have we've talked for a half hour and i haven't heard any negativity and that's what we want in this country so thank you so much phil best of luck in ohio thank you tony thanks to your listeners and uh make sure everyone gets out there and has a plan to vote and go vote